Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your holy word. We're grateful that you've given us your revelation through the living word, Jesus, and through the written word, the Bible. And we aim to put ourselves under its authority and bow to its work in our lives. As we reflect on Jonah 3 today, I pray that you would speak to us. You take this word and you'd open our eyes to understand it. And you'd show us how you want to press it into our lives and help us be receptive to anything you want to do. Anything. Make our hearts soft. Make them pliable. Make them receptive. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before I get into the message... Um, just want to mention this morning, I had the privilege of going um, to northern Kentucky, to Covington, to be with St. Barnabas Anglican Church, one of our sister parishes in our deanery. And I, I got to try the sermon on them, and it went pretty good, so I think it'll be okay tonight. Um, I know it's cut out now, so sorry they had to, you know, they're kind of guinea pigs. But um, hopefully it'll be better tonight. Probably longer, just saying. But um, just want to share that it was great to be with them. They... Some of you from, that have been around for a while remember a man named Chris Peterson, his wife Miriam and their children. They started St. Barnabas, and then Chris has stepped away as rector, and he's working as a, a hospice chaplain in the area and still helping that church. They have a new rector named Mike Lewis out from Oregon. So been here about six months, and I think probably going through total culture shock living in Kentucky, even northern Kentucky compared to Portland. Um, so a different place for them, but... Um, Let's just, can I just pray for them real quick before we get into the message? I just feel like we, we should pray for the sister parish and give thanks for them. So join me for a minute. Father, we thank you for St. Barnabas and Covington, and um, we want to bless them. We want to ask that you'd um, just stir, stir in them um, a passion for you, a passion for your glory and for your name, and stir in you um, a passion to grow as disciples and to make disciples and and open a door for the gospel in Covington through them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, um, Julianne was a student in the campus ministry I worked in back in the 90s when I lived in Iowa. And a really, really involved student, um, student leader, was in our music team, had a recordable voice, and uh, just really bright, fun enjoyable person to be with. Grew up in the church, grew up in a Christian family. I think she went to Christian schools. I think she started out Wheaton College and transferred to Iowa State and just very Christian and very churched. And, you know, on, on everything you would witness for her, you'd think in love with Jesus, life, life together, life put together well. But then we found out because she shared this with us, and by the way, this is not her real name, just so you know that. I wouldn't say her real name, that she had an eating disorder. And probably one of the most profound, deep problems with an eating disorder that I've ever encountered in my life. Just a, just a deeply life-controlling problem. Just in bondage to this. And <clears throat> she had tried all sorts of strategies to deal with it. We had come alongside her. We had helped her get counseling. We'd actually sent her to a program that, that we helped pay for and to get help with this. And 
She just kept cycling right back into it, cycling right back into it, cycling right back into it. Just a, just a deep, life-controlling stronghold in her life. But I remember there was a turning point in Julianne's life. And it was when a friend of hers was, was meeting with her. And I think this friend in the past had had some struggle a little bit with these areas. And they were just talking and processing. And the friend looked at Julianne and said, you don't believe in the cross. And it sort of took Julianne back. And, and she went on and she says, you don't believe in forgiveness. You don't believe you're forgiven. Now, I promise you, she believed she was forgiven. She grew up in church. Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. If you confess your sins, you're forgiven. She had the right answer. She could fill the blanks. But the, it didn't penetrate her heart. It's somehow, in some way, in that moment, the penny dropped and her liberation began. It was a turning point. Somehow in her friend exhorting her, she began to believe. And I think what had been going on with Julianne is that she thought that God was a God who's reluctant to forgive. Or at least what he's about is flying right, getting it right, keeping it straight, keeping the rules, and doing it perfectly. I mean, it makes sense if you know anything about those kind of disorders are often related to control and a struggle with wanting to feel in control. And had this sense, I think, that I know God wants me to get it right, and I don't get it right. And constantly trying to do everything right to get God's favor. And something just clicked. And she went, went from, I think, believing God's a God who's reluctant to forgive to a God who's looking for every excuse he can to forgive. Moving from a God who's reluctant to forgive to a God who's looking for any excuse to forgive. It's a truth that changed your life, and it's a truth that surfaces in Jonah chapter 3. You remember the backstory. I won't rehearse everything. But Jonah was called by God to go to Nineveh. Jonah decided to, to flee the presence of the Lord and go to Joppa. The sailors in the boat, who were not faithful Jews, worshipped false gods, worshipped idols, found out that he was the problem, threw him in the ocean, the sea calmed. And then, lo and behold, Jonah, who didn't want to go to Nineveh, so Nineveh could be forgiven and know God, through his being thrown in the sea, God brings these Gentiles to faith in God. And they break sacrifice and worship God. So the irony in the story begins. And then, if you're here last week, we talked about Jonah's repentance, sort of. And how, with God, bad repentance is good repentance because he'll just meet you where you are. Of course God wanted more from Jonah. But God was willing to meet him where he was and move him where he needed to go. And so, Jonah is hoping and he's grateful that God will save him. But he's still not really down I'm going to Nineveh. But the fish that saved him, God commanded the fish to vomit him on the shore. And he realized, oh, I'm at Nineveh. Huh. So the story picks up with him hearing the word of the Lord again. And in verse 2, God says, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. 
And so Jonah went, and, and the story describes Nineveh as this city that takes three days to get across. Jonah walks in one day. So he's just kind of a third of the way of the city, and he stops. And he declares a message. And he said this. You might want to look at verse 4. It's very interesting. He's called by God to go to Nineveh to share God's word. And he says, 40 days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. Don't you get a sense that God maybe wanted him to add a little bit more to that? You're going to be overthrown. 40 days. I'm done. And he just goes as far, just a, just a little bit into the city, just so he can sort of say he did what he's supposed to do. No mention, no mention that if they repent, there's mercy. No mention they can be delivered. No details about who God is, just you're going to be overturned. That's interesting. The Hebrew word there can, can, can mean two things. It can be, depending on how you use it. It can mean overturned like, like an enemy to overthrow you, or it can mean overturned like turn your life around, turn things over in a good way. So it's probably an intentional play on a word. What's going to happen? So it's all Jonah says. And I should have had verse, chapter 4, verse 1 included in our reading. I'll add it right now because as soon as the story is over, it just says, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry. You know, when Nineveh repented and met God. It made him angry. He didn't like it. He didn't want it to happen. So he shares just the minimal, probably hoping they will not repent, they won't turn to God. And then what happens? The whole city turns. They just start repenting. It's like a revival, man. It's like a total renewal awakening. It gets to the king. And the king says, everyone in sackcloth, everyone in ashes, everyone repent because we don't know. God might relent. Get the, get the juxtaposition of the story. Jonah's like utterly doesn't want anything good to come to them. He doesn't want them to meet God. And he just does the bare minimum. And a move of God just breaks out in Nineveh. It's because God is looking for any excuse to forgive. It's the kind of God that shows up in the book of Jonah. It's the kind of God that shows up all over the Bible. It's the kind of God that showed up in my friend Julianne's life. He's the kind of God who wants to show up in our life. God is looking for any excuse to forgive. Jonah was looking for any excuse for God not to forgive. But God decided his plan was better than Jonah's plan. So Nineveh met God. And it says in verse 10, When God saw what they did, the king, the people, the livestock, everyone, it says, God relented. Isn't that beautiful? God relented. The Ninevites never worship the true God. All they've done is worship idols. The Ninevites, the Assyrians, this is an evil place. This is a bad, bad city. You know, sacrificing children to gods, ruthlessly oppressing the poor, Utterly mistreating people. Any conquered people are just crushed. You know, think, you know, think invading, um, you know, uh, the Huns invading. Or think of the Nazis. It's, they're that bad of a people. They really are. There's nothing in their story that we'd say, you know, God, I kind of recommend them to be you. I think, I think you'd like them. They're, they're your kind of people. There's nothing 
Nothing. Nothing. Jonah knows this. That's why he doesn't want them to be forgiven. Because he knows they're his enemy. And he doesn't like that they don't follow God like he does. But God has a different plan. So God relents. And God forgives Nineveh. It's the second time in the story. God works out his plan. And in spite of Jonah, or even through Jonah in a sense, even using reluctant Jonah, God breaks through. God meets Gentiles again. God meets idol worshipers again. They turn from their ways. God forgives. Because God is looking for any excuse to forgive. So what does that mean for us? What are some implications for us as we hear this story? Because it's not just a record of a past event. It's God's living word to us right now. What does he want to say to us, this story of Jonah? Let me mention three things. Number one. Number one, God is looking for any excuse to forgive. And that isn't just true for the Ninevites or true for people in the Bible. It's true for me. And it's true for you. God delights to forgive. He loves it. He's looking for any excuse he can to forgive. And the lesson from that is, I, I know that I, every Christian I know at some time or other has something they struggle with to feel forgiven. And then I always know there's a few Christians who just struggle all the time to just feel forgiven. It's hard to believe it. But this story says, don't do that. Turn from that. There's a truth that's greater than how you feel. There's a truth that's greater than what you think might be true. It's that God is the kind of God who's looking for any excuse to forgive, and he has forgiven you in Jesus Christ. Receive it, walk in it, and rejoice in it. Period. Period. Sheer gift. And here's the deal. Just like with my friend Julianne, when she, that truth became real and the penny dropped, it liberated her. It actually gave her the power to begin to change. Because what happened is God was no longer someone she could never get close to or please enough. God became the one who threw his arms open and said, I'm here with you. And she leaned into God. And she began to change through God. Because she knew God welcomed her. You're forgiven. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. When Jesus says, said it is finished, he meant it. It is finished. It is done. Do is only the outworking of the gift of what Jesus has done. That's it. It's never the means to get to Jesus. So that's the first truth I'd say is God's the kind of God who says, oh, I want to look for any excuse to forgive, and it's for you. It's for you. Second, second implication. If God's this kind of God then not only does he want to just, just effusively share forgiveness, he also calls us to forgive. Because we're called to be like him. He wants to make us like him. In a few moments, we'll pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. There is a principle in the scripture that when I have unforgiveness in my heart, it chokes my relationship to God. It creates a blockage. I can't draw near to God. And it's not because God doesn't want to be near me. It's not because God doesn't love me. But it hardens my heart. And I just can't meet God the way he wants me to meet him. 
And to be released, I have to forgive. In a sense, there's a, it's a subtext in the book of Jonah. Because Jonah hates the Assyrians. They're his enemies. And he so hates them that not only will he not forgive them, he doesn't want God to forgive them. That's how bad off Jonah is. But we're invited to a different way. We are invited to be like Jesus and forgive. Now, this is not a sermon on forgiveness, but let me say a couple of quick things on how you step into that. I think forgiveness is both a feeling and an act of the will. It is a state you get into where someone who at one point you hated, you can turn that into love. A person who's hurt you, you can reverse it and you can want to bless them. You can get to that place. And if, you know, it's some little peccadillo in life, that's easy. What's hard is the times when someone's really been cruel or someone's really betrayed us or someone's profoundly let us down. That level of forgiveness takes work. But it always starts with one step and one act of the will, the decision to forgive. And when you choose to forgive, before God, he holds that as you've forgiven. It's good. I'm good with that. And he begins to work. But if you have the deep kind of hurt, what you know happens, you've experienced this, is it keeps coming up, keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And the way you work through that is you don't go, well, I guess I didn't forgive. You just forgive again. You just do it again and again and again and again and again. And over time, through the help of the Holy Spirit, it takes hold. And you're able to let go and release through his grace. There's so much more to say about that. That is not enough to be said. Trust me. I know it's a, a deeper issue. And I just say, if that's something in your life where you have a deep-seated unforgiveness, you need to work through it, you need to get with someone. You could call Andy. You could call me. Or some other person, other clergy you know. And have them help you work through that. But it can start by even right now going, Lord, I don't have, I don't even want to do this, but I just choose to forgive. That's always how it starts. And the reason we forgive is because we're forgiven. Always. Always. Third implication, third application, I think, of this passage. And that's to do with, with mission. And I think it's, it's, it's a moment to celebrate our life as a church. Because I think what this text and the, the whole book of Jonah invites us into is God's heart for those who aren't in You remember the story where Jesus encounters the Pharisees because he's eating with tax collectors and sinners? He tells three stories. And every story is about the one person who leaves, but God pursues the one and leaves behind. Not a sense of abandoning or not caring about, but in terms of focus, he's making a point for the one. It's the one coin, the one sheep, the one son. That's that's God's heart. You leave the 99. He leaves the 99 and reaches the one who's not in to bring them in to be part of the 99. That's the heart of God. And so what that means, I think, is if we know God as the church, yeah, first, our first purpose as church is to glorify God. Always. He's first. You know, that's the number one reason for gathering today. It's not to get something out of worship. It's to make sure God is worshiped right. That's the first goal. Then the second thing is we're here to love each other and be edified. We're church so we can love one another. But God also created his church to love those who aren't part of it in word and in deed. 
Because God is just looking for any excuse he can to forgive. And he wants us, just like he wanted Jonah, to embody that and live that. And what's amazing about God, what's so cool about the story, I bet no one in this room is as bad as Jonah. I mean, no one in here has an attitude like Jonah. But God used Jonah. So if God can use Jonah, God can use me. Right? I mean, if he uses this guy, this numbskull, this jerk, he's a jerk. Right? You're picking that up, right? You've read Jonah, you know that. He's a jerk. God uses him in spite of his brokenness. Doesn't excuse brokenness. Doesn't mean he wants Jonah to be there. But God is so committed to carrying out his purposes that he just uses messed up people like Pete Matthews and every single one of you to accomplish his purposes. That's who he is. He's just so gracious. He's so generous. Yes, he holds us accountable. And yes, there comes a time in everyone's life where if they finally fully say no to God, he will say, you're allowed to be separate from me forever. But that's because we refuse to receive his grace. We refuse to receive what he has, not because he doesn't perpetually, constantly offer it to us. Constantly. And let me say this. Grace, forgiveness, isn't a truth that begins the Christian life. It's the truth that covers every moment of the Christian life. Every moment. Every moment. I never get past it. We never get past it. We're always invited into this truth that God is not a God who's reluctant to forgive. God is a God who's looking for any excuse he can to forgive. Well, my friend Julianne, <clears throat> I keep track with her, keep connected to her through Facebook. She's doing well. She's married. She has a family now. She's a, she's a public school teacher. And as far as I know, I'm, I'm sure because of the the depth of her struggle, there's been probably temptations, maybe some fall along the way she struggled. But she's basically lived in freedom for 25 years. And it started with finally seeing that God is, God is not a God who's reluctant to forgive, but God is a God who's looking for any excuse to forgive. That is our God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Can we pray before we say the creed? Let's pray again. I like to pray, so we're going to do it. Father, um, I want to ask that you would take um, this truth and disciple us with it. That you deepen, <clears throat> just deepen our, our revelation of your name, our knowledge of your name. That you are slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness that you look for any excuse to forgive. Help us to receive the fullness of forgiveness you offer us. Help us to follow your lead and forgive. And continue to help us as a church do even more great things to think of those who aren't part of us. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand.